We'll continue our study in the book of Exodus, uh, where we left off a little bit earlier today. Our passage will be Exodus chapter 3, verses 7 through 20. I'll invite you to turn to that again, um, page 46 in the Pew Bible. Um, As we come to this passage, Moses is now 80 years old. He grew up in the house of Pharaoh for the first 40 years of his life, and he's left Egypt now some 40 years ago. And, And for the last 40 years, he's been living in the land of Midian, a land about halfway between Egypt and the promised land, the land of Canaan. Let's turn our attention now to the reading of God's holy living and inerrant word. Again, our passage is from Exodus 3, beginning in verse 7. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down out of the land of the Egyptians to bring them out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you. And this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to him? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, has appeared to me, saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt, and I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hivites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, to a land flowing with milk and honey, and they will listen to your voice. And you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. And now please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, he will let you go. 
and I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty. But each woman shall ask of her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. You shall put them on your sons and your daughters. So shall you plunder the Egyptians. Brothers and sisters in Christ, this is God's word for you today. The grass may wither and the flower may fade, but the word of the Lord will endure forever. Pray with me again. Lord God, we thank you for your enduring word. Your enduring word, which tells us of your enduring faithfulness to your people. Lord, continue to reveal yourself to be the God who is the great I am. And also continue to reveal how you have committed yourself to your people, even to us. Do that again this day through your word and your spirit, we pray. Amen. Well, as I pondered this passage of Scripture this week, I was reminded of the third question of the Westminster Shorter Catechism. That question asks of us, what do the Scriptures principally teach? And that answer is that the Scriptures principally teach what man is to believe concerning God and what duty God requires of man. And that answer can be a a helpful guide in directing one's Bible study, and I think that's particularly true today. So for our time together this morning, let's consider first what we can learn about God in this passage. And the first thing that we learn about God is that He is the God who sees and who hears. And we understand that from verse 7, when we read, Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. The Lord is the God who sees and who hears. And friends, he sees and he hears you also. In your time of joy and in your times of afflictions, he sees you, he hears you, He knows, and as we'll see, he is a God who acts on behalf of his people. And that's our next point, even, is that God has a people. He says, I have seen the misery of my people who are in Egypt, and I know their sufferings. And who are his people? Well, of course, it's the people of Israel. It's these people who we've been learning about these past months as we've studied the book of Genesis. The Lord's special people who've descended from Abraham and from Isaac and from Jacob. The Lord tells us exactly that on three occasions here in chapter 3 in verse 6 and 15 and 16. He says, I am the God of your fathers. I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And in one sense, God is the God of all people. Because he's created all things. He's created all people who exist. And every person who's ever walked on the face of the earth owes his or her existence to this God. And so the Lord has a special love for everyone whom he's created. A very real love. That's why he can say in scripture that God so loves the world 
that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever would believe upon Him shall not perish, but would have everlasting life. But Scripture is also clear that God has entered into a very special, unique, fatherly, covenantal relationship with a special group of people. And He has a special, unique, saving love for this particular people for those with whom he's entered into covenantal relationship with. And at this point in redemptive history, when this Exodus story is taking place, this particular covenantal relationship is with the Hebrew people, with the people who've descended from Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. But let's also remember that Scripture tells us that all who are in Christ have been grafted into God's special people. All who believe in Christ, Scripture said, has been grafted into Abraham. And so because of that, when we read in this passage today about the Lord's special love for the people of Abraham, we're reminded also of His special love for you, for all those who are looking to Jesus Christ for their salvation. If you are in Christ, the Lord is telling you today that I am your God, that I am for you. I see you, I hear you, and I act for you. The Lord is the God who sees and hears. And notice that this is a God who, do, who isn't content at just seeing and hearing from a distance, sitting unmoved, uninterested by the plight of His people. But again, we see this point, which I've referenced on several occasions, that this is a God who acts. This is the God who comes down to rescue His people. And we see that in verse 8. In verse 7, the Lord said that He had seen and He's heard the affliction, the misery of His people. And now in verse 8, He declares that He's come down to rescue them from the hands of the Egyptians. The Lord is the God who enters into history. And He enters into the lives of His people to bring redemption. And in Exodus, that redemption that he brings is to deliver his people out of Egypt and into the promised land. But the Lord is also the God who delivers us. He delivers us from those things that seek to hold us bondage. He's the God who delivers us from our sin He's the God who, according to Colossians 1.13, has delivered us from the domain of darkness and has transferred us into the kingdom of light, into the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The Lord is the God who rescues His people. We also see from this passage that I've read from chapter 2 and chapter 3 that God is also the God who issues a call to his people. We see that in how the Lord calls to Moses from the burning bush. The Lord is the God who calls to his people. And in verse 10, we see that he's also the God who sends 
his people. He says to Moses, come, I will send you to Pharaoh so that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. The Lord calls us and the Lord sends us. He calls us first to himself and then he places a calling upon his people and he sends his people out to do a task. And here we learn that the the Lord initiates a, a call upon our lives and then he expects his people to respond. It's incumbent upon us to respond to the Lord's call. And what's the first response that the Lord expects of us? Well, he desires for us to respond, to respond with trust. The Lord wants us to trust him. And in our passage this morning, Moses isn't so sure that he can really trust God. Earlier in verse 4, when the Lord called to Moses out of the burning bush, we, we saw Moses respond with a very confident, here I am. But now in these subsequent verses, we see some reluctance creeping in. In verse 10, the Lord tells Moses that he's sending Moses back to Pharaoh to bring his people out of Egypt. But Moses isn't so sure. Is that something that you can relate to? Do you ever find yourself being reluctant to follow God's call upon your life? I think we all do from time to time. I know that can be the case with me. I know I feel like I resisted the Lord's call for me to go to seminary to prepare for pastoral ministry for 15 or 20 years. And there are other areas of life when we can struggle to respond to the Lord's call upon our lives. Do you ever find yourself reluctant, for instance, to share the gospel with someone, even though you know that that's the Lord's desire for you? Do you ever find it hard to love your wife, to respect your husband, to honor your parents, to offer forgiveness or love to someone who's wronged you? But yet, this is the Lord's calling upon every one of our lives. How will we respond to those callings? Will we live in obedience to the Lord's desire for how we are to live? Or will you, like Moses, or like me sometimes, want to tell God that that expectation that he has of you must be wrong? Brothers and sisters in Christ, let's all commit to spending less time justifying our disobedience to God and spend more time obeying his desires for us. Now what does the Lord do here in response to Moses' reluctance? Well, we see the Lord respond graciously by making a series of promises to Moses. And in his doing that, we're reminded that he is a promise-making and a promise-keeping God. And we see several of those promises in verses 17 to 20. There God says again that he will bring his people out of Egypt. And not only will he bring them out of Egypt, but he promises that he'll bring them to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And this land that the Lord is referencing here is the very land 
that he first promised to Abraham way back in those early chapters of Genesis. And for a season, you'll remember in Genesis, God's people lived in that land. But that was when they were just a handful of people. And these other groups here, the Canaanites and the others, dominated that land. And in today's passage here, the Lord renews His promise to give this land, this promised land to the Hebrews. And the Lord calls upon Moses to believe these promises that He's making to him. In verse 18, the Lord promises Moses that if if he'll be faithful to this calling that the Lord is placing upon his life to return to Egypt and to bring his people out, the people of Israel will listen to him. But although the leaders of Israel will listen to him, Pharaoh will not. And we see that in verse 19. There the Lord says, I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. And we all know whose mighty hand it is that will compel them. The Lord promises Moses in verse 20 that he will stretch out his hand and strike the Egyptians. And that after doing that, Pharaoh will eventually let him go. The Lord makes these promises to Moses and he calls Moses to trust him, to trust in his promises. What would you do if you were in Moses' place? Would you be able to trust him? What will Moses do? One thing we need to remember about the promises of the Lord is that they aren't just empty promises. God knows the future. And of course, not only does the Lord know the future, but He's sovereign over it. And what the Lord says He will accomplish, He will accomplish. Moses can trust this God. And friends, so can you. And what's the reason that we can trust the Lord? Why is it that Moses can trust these promises that God's making to him? Well, we see that in verse 12. Look at that if you would. When Moses doubted the Lord, when Moses was reluctant to believe that the Lord really could accomplish what he said he was going to do, the Lord gave Moses the greatest reason that there is that he could be trusted. And the greatest reason that Moses could trust that the Lord would do all that he says that he would do was because the Lord promised Moses that he would be with him. The Lord promised to be with Moses. He says, I will be with you. But still Moses doubts him. In verse 13, Moses says, But if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And to that question, the Lord in verse 15 tells Moses, Say to the people of Israel, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout the generations. And then in verse 14, the Lord says to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel. 
I am has sent me to you. The Lord refers to himself in two ways in these verses. As the Lord in verse 15 and as I am or I am who I am in verse 14. And you know, you're probably familiar with this, that, that for many years theologians have typically believed that the, that the Lord's reference to his name being I am is a kind of self-disclosure of himself. It's a, it's a statement of his pre-existence, that he's the one, he's the God who's always existed. And of course, that statement's true. The Lord always has existed. And no doubt there's an aspect of that this concept is what the Lord wants Moses to convey. That the one who's making this promise, this one is also the one who created all things. The one who's making these promises are the one true God. But I think there's something that can get missed in simply understanding the name of the Lord as I am. Or I am who I am. Because what I think the Lord's trying to convey to Moses is that he's declaring to him, I am the God who is with you. I am the God who is being with you. That's what the Hebrew conveys. And can you see the significance of this? The Lord isn't just stating his name or stating that he's the one true God, but he's promising Moses that he can be trusted to do these things that he says that he's going to do because he is the God who will be with him as he goes out. He's the God who's with his people and he's the God who's with you. And because of this promise to be with him, Moses can trust that the Lord will accomplish all that he says he's going to accomplish in these verses. Moses was right to be reluctant to believe that he could answer God's call to deliver God's people out of Egypt. But he won't be doing that alone. The Lord isn't sending him out by himself to accomplish this task. But the Lord is promising that he will be there accomplishing this. And Moses and we can trust that if the Lord has promised it, the Lord will do it. But here's the amazing thing, that, that although the Lord is the all-sovereign and all-powerful, and that he can accomplish anything that he, that he might desire by supernatural means, even though that's true, very often he works through ordinary means and through ordinary people. Through ordinary people like Moses, and even through ordinary people like you and me. We see this very concept in the passage of Scripture that's called the Great Commission. There in Matthew 28, in some of the final words of Christ, he tells his disciples, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And so as he makes that statement, we might expect that he's about to do something incredible because after all, all authority has been given to him. But what comes next? Christ says, go therefore. All authority has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, 
baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. Rather than accomplishing that mission of making disciples of all the nations, rather than accomplishing that by himself, the Lord instead invites his disciples. He invites us to carry out that mission on his behalf. And he gives us a reason as to why we can expect to be successful because of what comes next when he finishes that passage by saying, And behold, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. The Lord promised Moses that he would be with him. And that promise would make all the difference in the world. And the Lord has made that very same promise to you and to me. And he's proven himself faithful to that promise. And he's done that through the one who we know as Emmanuel, which means God with us. And the Lord has promised that if you're trusting in the person and work of Jesus Christ for your salvation, then he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. And I hope that you've learned from personal experience that the Lord is true to that promise. That he's true to that promise to be with you always. Have you found that to be true? Have you found that the Lord has been true to this promise to be with you always? That you will never again walk alone, but instead the Lord will be with you always, walking with you, leading you, loving you. Maybe you're in a seasonal life right now where it's hard to sense God's loving presence with you. But if that's the case, I want to encourage you to seek to move near to Him. In Scripture, the Lord promises that for those who seek to draw near to Him, He will draw near to those. Move towards Christ. Move also towards Christ's people. Don't isolate yourself, but instead try to surround yourself with other people who are also trying to follow hard after the Lord. Look to Him. Trust in Him. Cast your burdens upon Him, for He, he cares for you. He's shown that, he's care, that He cares for you in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Emmanuel himself, whom the Father gave to you to be a way to be reconciled with him. He will always be with you. He will never forsake you because he once forsook his son Jesus on the cross. Pray with me again. Lord God, show us how this promise to be with us makes all the difference. Show us how that makes all the difference for Moses. Show us that in these weeks to come, Lord. And Lord, show us for the rest of our life how it makes all the difference that you are with us as well. We thank you, Lord, that you are Emmanuel, the God who is with us. We thank you that you are the God who sees us and who hears us. You are the God who delivers us. You're the God who rescues us, the God who acts on behalf of his people. 
And we thank you that through faith in Jesus Christ, Lord, which you have given, you've adopted us and you've caused us to become your own. You are the Lord, the God who calls us. Lord, call us to yourself all the more. And you are the God who sends us out. Lord, send to us your Holy Spirit to enable us to do that which you call us to do. And Father, give us faith. Give us faith to respond. Give us faith to trust your promises. Give us faith to respond in the way in which you desire for us to respond. Give us faith so that we would walk with you faithfully for a lifetime, we pray. This is our prayer.